Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul has been dealing with a variety of issues in the church at Corinth, and in chapters 12 to 14, he deals with the subject of spiritual gifts. And in chapter 12, verses 8 to 10, he gives us a partial list of those gifts, and we have been in the process of examining those individually. In verse 8, we talked about the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. In verse 9, we talked about the gift of faith and the gifts of healings. And this morning, we come to verse 10, where we read, and to another, the effecting of miracles or the working of miracles. To some individuals, the gift was given to be able to work miracles. You say, well, what constitutes a miracle? That's a good question because we often use that term loosely. We say, my son passed his history test. It was a miracle. Kate Bible Chapel won a softball game. It's a miracle. That's close, but that's not a miracle. The word miracle in the Greek is, is the word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. It's a word that means power, strength, a mighty work. My definition of a miracle is a supernatural intrusion into the natural law. It's when the natural flow of things is interrupted from the outside. That's a miracle. There are a lot of examples in Scripture. The parting of the Red Sea was a miracle. When the walls of Jericho fell down, that was a miracle. When Jesus fed 5,000 people, that was a miracle. When Jesus walked on top of the Sea of Galilee, that was a miracle. And then there are even less significant miracles in Scripture, like when Moses threw his staff down and it became a serpent. That was a miracle. When Elisha caused an axe head to float, that was a miracle. When the coin was found in the fish's mouth, that was a miracle. Not a big miracle, but a miracle. And the Bible is filled with miracles, supernatural intrusions into the natural law. Now, an important question to ask at this point is this. Is God the only source of miracles? And the answer to that question is no. In Deuteronomy 13, we're warned that if a prophet comes and does signs and wonders and says, let us go after other gods, do not follow him. He's doing signs, he's doing wonders, he's doing miracles, but his message is, leave God and follow false gods. And Moses says, beware. When Moses came to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate some of the miracles that he did. When he threw the staff down and it became a snake, the magicians did the same thing. When he turned water into blood, 
the magicians were able to do the same thing. When he brought frogs up on the land, it tells us, the magicians were able to do that same thing. So there are miracles that don't come from God. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. False prophets. Revelation 13, 13 describes how the false prophet who is coming in the future will perform great signs so that he he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And so our definition, supernatural intrusions into the natural law is okay as long as we understand that supernatural includes angels, particularly fallen angels, and more particularly, Satan himself. So, performing a miracle in itself does not verify that a person is from God. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles, dunamis, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So a miracle can be from God, and it usually is, but it can be from Satan. You say, well, why would Satan do a miracle? Well, he would do a miracle for a couple reasons. One, to display his power, but more likely to counterfeit God's power. And he's very good at counterfeiting both the power and the message. And we need to be aware of that. But today, we want to concentrate on miracles from God. And there are two groups into which God's miracles can be divided. Those in which no human agent is involved and those in which a human agent is involved. There are many miracles in the Bible where there's no human agent. The star at Bethlehem was one of those. When Christ was on the cross and the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, no human agent, miracle from God. When Jesus was on the cross, there was a little-known miracle. Some people read right by it, but there was an earthquake And we're told that some of the tombs were open and people came out from the dead while Jesus was on the cross. That was a miracle that needed no human agent. So we can divide them into two categories or two two divisions. One is those who, that need no human agent. And then there's another group that used a human agent. And we can divide that group into two as we look at the New Testament. And those two groups are Jesus' miracles, number one. And secondly, we see the miracles in the book of Acts by the apostles and others who performed those. Now, as we start to get specific, it's going to become apparent that my definition is a little too broad. So I want to back that down a little bit. Because under my definition, 
a supernatural intrusion into the natural world, healing would be a miracle. And healing is a miracle. But in this passage, Paul divides healing because he tells us in verse 9, there is a gift of healing. And then he tells us in verse 10, there is a gift of miracles. So he makes a division there. So the gifts of healing would be the supernatural capacity to release the power of God to heal. The working of miracles would be the supernatural capacity to release the power of God for various other things. Now, let's look at some of the miracles in Scripture. First of all, I want to look at Jesus' miracles. Jesus cast out demons, which is a miracle. He did that on many occasions. He raised the dead, which you could qualify that as healing, but I think that's pretty much beyond healing. That's a miracle. We have three recorded times that Jesus raised someone from the dead. He turned water into wine. He came to Peter on one occasion, and Peter said, I fished all night, and I didn't catch anything. And Jesus said, well, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And when they did, they caught so many fish that both boats started to sink. That's a miracle. He stood in a storm on the Sea of Galilee and said, peace be still, and the storm stopped. He multiplied loaves and fishes to feed 5,000 and then later 4,000. He walked on the water. He told Peter to go down to the sea and drop his hook in, and the, the first fish that he took, look in its mouth, and you'll find a coin with the exact amount to pay the tax. And he walked by a, a fig tree on one occasion and cursed it, and it withered. Miracles. Now, why did Jesus do those things? Well, let me clarify one thing. Jesus never did a miracle for his own comfort. That's what Satan tried to get him to do, you remember? Turn these stones into bread because you're hungry. And Jesus would not do that. He didn't, he didn't walk around and say, you know, I'm hungry. I think I'd like some seafood today. Bang, there it is. No, he didn't do those things. Never did it for his own comfort. You say, well, why did he do the miracles? Well, listen to what it says in John 2.11. When Jesus turned the water into wine, this is what we read, John 2.11. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Jesus did the miracle to manifest his glory, to verify who he is. When he wanted to manifest himself as God, the miracles were a part of that. In John 5, 36, Jesus said, The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So the miracles confirmed who Jesus is. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, we read, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed that are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. The miracles were done and written down so that we would know who he is. He is the Christ, the Messiah, 
the Son of God. In Acts 2.22, in Peter's sermon, he says, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs. Jesus was attested. He was verified to be the Son of God by miracles and wonders and signs. And so the Lord Jesus did miracles to confirm who he is and to confirm his message. Now, let's look at the apostles and the others in the New Testament. They also cast out demons. They also raised the dead. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira fell over dead? That was a miracle in Acts chapter 5. Peter's deliverance from prison in Acts chapter 12 was a miracle. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 says, Stephen was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Acts 8.39 tells us that Philip was transported from the city of Gaza to Azotus. In fact, the Bible just says he was snatched away. It says he found himself there and went on preaching. I don't know what he thought. 20 miles away, he just beamed him over there. In Acts 28, Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake and unharmed. Miracle. Now, why were their miracles done? Listen to Mark 16, 20. And they, speaking about the apostles, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. What was God doing? He was confirming their message by the miracles. In Acts chapter 14, in verse 3, we read this about Paul and Barnabas. The Lord was bearing witness to the word of his grace. How? Granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So Jesus did miracles to confirm who he is and his message. The apostles and others in the book of Acts did miracles to confirm the message being God's message. You see, in the initial stages of the church, when these men went out, there was no New Testament. They didn't come together and say, get your Bibles out. They didn't have Bibles. How did they confirm that they were from God? They confirmed that they were from God by the signs and the wonders of and the miracles. Those miracles confirm their message to be a message from God. Now today, when somebody comes to preach, we don't have to say, do a miracle. Now, if we have a guest speaker, I don't introduce him and say, well, he's going to come up here, and on his way up, we're going to ask him to call fire out of heaven so we know God sent him here. You see, I don't need a miracle today to confirm a message. What do I need? I need to go back to the Word of God and say, is that what the Word says? Is what he's saying consistent with what has already been confirmed and given to us and is complete? You see, without the New Testament being completed, God confirmed his Word and his messenger by miracles. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, Paul says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Paul says the sign of a true apostle is that he does miracles to confirm that he's God's man and his message is God's message. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. It's a great verse. The church is built on the foundation. What is the foundation? The foundation is the apostles who did the signs and wonders to confirm they were God's men with God's message, and that's the foundation of the church. How many foundations do you need? You need one foundation. The church is being built on that foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, and that does not need to be reestablished. And so they had a foundational ministry, and God confirmed that ministry by the miracles that were performed through the apostles. In fact, let me show you a verse. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, notice verse 1, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. And then he goes on in verse 2 to talk about the word spoken through angels and how those who broke that word received penalty. And then he says, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, he's talking about the law in verse 2. He says the law was given by angels, and when you broke the law, you paid for it. So he says, how are you going to escape if you neglect a greater message than the law? And that greater message is the new covenant, the New Testament. And then notice what he says in verse 3. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Now, there are three generations there. There's the Lord, those who heard the Lord, and us. Now, notice something. After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard the Lord. Verse 4, God also testifying with them, who's them, the apostles who heard the Lord, both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Now, there's a a, a time element here. The Lord spoke the word, and it was confirmed by miracles. He spoke to them, the apostles. They heard the word. It was confirmed by miracles, and we heard them, the ones through whom it was confirmed by miracles. And so what he's saying is, there's a progression here. Christ was confirmed as he gave the message initially by miracles. The apostles who took the baton from him and laid the foundation of the church had their ministry also established by miracles. But as he writes to these Hebrews, he doesn't say, you got the miracles and you're doing the miracles. He says they were confirmed to you. You never heard the Lord. You heard the apostles and saw the verification of their ministry as well. And so miracles seem to be associated with 
God confirming his messenger and his message. Now, having said that, it's interesting when you look at Scripture that there are certain times when God doesn't have a great emphasis on miracles. Even as you go through Scripture, you see that. For instance, Jesus lived about 33 years. He only did miracles for three of those years. Now, you'll find people writing books about Jesus as a little boy doing miracles. You know, he got upset at his friend and pulled a miracle on him. That didn't happen. You say, well, how do you know that didn't happen? I know that didn't happen because John 2.11 says that when he turned the water into wine, it was his first sign, his first miracle. So he lived about 33 years. He didn't do a miracle until he was 30 years old. And it started with turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. You see, when God got ready to manifest himself, then the miracles came to manifest his glory and confirm his message. It's also true in the Old Testament. When you look at the Old Testament, Although you will find miracles scattered throughout the Old Testament, they're really concentrated in two clusters in the Old Testament. One of those times is around the life of Moses. Moses was the one through whom God gave the plagues that came on Egypt. Moses raised his staff and the Red Sea parted. There was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in day. There was manna that came down from heaven. Uh, there was water that came out of the rock. There was the mountain shaking. All of those miracles accompanying Moses. Why? Because Moses was God's messenger, and he was confirming Moses to be his messenger. And what was the message? The message was the giving of the law to the people of Israel. So at that time when God was saying, this is a message I want you to hear, and this is my messenger, he confirmed that, with a cluster of miracles in the Old Testament. The other time we find a cluster of miracles in the Old Testament is relative to two guys, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah is the one who prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. A drought came. He's the one who uh, had the widow's bowl of flour and jar of oil that never ran dry. He's the one who raised her son from the dead. He's the one who stood on the mountain and called fire out of heaven, and it came down. He's the one who was caught up to heaven in a fiery chariot in a whirlwind. And then he handed the mantle to Elisha, and Elisha's the one who uh, tells us 42 lads came out and said, go up, bald head. <laughs> it's my favorite story in the Bible. <laughs> and he calls she-bears out of the woods, and they come out and eat the kids. The moral of the story, God doesn't like it when you make fun of bald preachers. <laughs> he also had the widow's jar of oil that just kept filling all the other containers. He raised the Shumanite's son. He's the one who not only healed Naaman's leprosy, but had it go from Naaman to his servant who had done wrong. And he's the one who had the axe head float. 
You say, well, why Elijah and Elisha? Well, God was confirming the revelation of the prophets, which is another aspect of the Old Testament. So Moses with the law, Elijah and Elisha with the, the prophecy and the prophets of the Old Testament, God was concern, confirming again his messenger and his message. And you, you really see in a general way even that God worked in various times with miracles and at other times he didn't use miracles. For instance, in the Old Testament you have miracles. The Old Testament ended with Malachi. There was 400 years until Jesus came. During that 400 years, no miracles. No communication even from God. Then you have the New Testament coming with Christ and the apostles. We have the New Testament. We have all the miracles. And then the end of that age until today, if you look at history, you will not find a verification of miracles since that time of the first century up until now. There are certain people who claim miracles, but when you look at them, what they were, they're really not on a par with what you're reading in Scripture. And even in the times when the miracles came, there were times of emphasis on miracles and not. For instance, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11, it says God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And so there were even times in Paul's life when the miracles were extraordinary and then other times when that wasn't the case. You say, well, Dan, are there miracles today? Absolutely. But I do not believe that that is God's emphasis today because God used miracles to confirm his revelation. Is God still revealing his word? No. His word is complete. It's done. And so there's no need for a constant flow of miracles today to confirm the word. What we need to do today is proclaim the word that has already been confirmed. You say, well, but it seems like if God would just do a miracle, people would believe. You ever think that way? Hear people say, I've heard unbelievers say that to me. Well, just show me a miracle and I'll believe. But the reality is that's not really true. See, Jesus fed 5,000 people. Did they believe? No, they didn't believe. In Acts chapter 14, Paul performed miracles. You know what happened as a result? The Gentiles worshipped he and Barnabas as gods, and the Jews stoned him and left him for dead. So the miracles didn't cause belief. They really encouraged unbelief. You see, the miracles confirmed the message. The message has to be either accepted or rejected. The miracles don't make people believe. In fact, there's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 16. You're familiar with it. It's the rich man and Lazarus. They both die, and the rich man goes to Hades, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. There's an interesting conversation there because the rich man says, if my brothers would just see a miracle, they'll believe. And so he says... If someone goes back from the dead, they'll repent. Send Lazarus back to my brothers. I know they'll repent. And Abraham says this, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. If they will not believe the word of God, they won't believe, even if they see someone rise from the dead. That's strong stuff. Because faith is not 
faith does not derive from seeing miracles. You know, you see the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They saw the plagues. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw the column of fire and the column of cloud. They saw the manna every morning. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Moses goes up on the mountain. What do they do? They make a little gold calf and they bow down and say, this is our God that delivered us from Egypt. They turn to idolatry immediately. Miracles do not produce faith. The word of God, the message of God produces faith. And it's already been confirmed by the miracles of God. So what am I saying? I'm not saying that God can't do miracles. I'm not saying that God doesn't do miracles. I'm simply saying that God did certain miracles at certain times to confirm the revealing of his word. And now is not one of those times because the word of God is complete. So for me, the burden of proof is on the person who claims to have this gift of miracles. I'm great with that. I just want them to walk on the water. I want them to feed 5,000 people with a sack lunch. I want to see them raise the dead. That, that's what happened in the New Testament. And so the burden of proof is on that person. Let me also say this. There are people today who try to guilt you with the fact that you don't do a miracle or don't have a miracle. And they say, well, if you were really spirit-filled and faith-filled, then you would have a miracle. Well, that's not true. There's only one person in the Bible that we're told was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. You know who that was? John the Baptist. You know what it says about John the Baptist in John 10, 41? It says, John performed no miracles. So this guy who was spirit-filled from his mother's womb never did a miracle. So a miracle is not the confirmation of the Spirit of God in your life. In fact, I would say the greatest miracle of all for me is a transformed life. The greatest miracle I ever see is somebody rising from the dead spiritually and seeing the Spirit of God's fruit in their life coming out. That's a miracle. That's amazing to me. And that's where our emphasis needs to be. If God wants to do some external things, wonderful. But the reality is there's nothing more amazing than a life that's turned around and changed for Jesus Christ and reveals the fruit of God's Spirit on a daily basis in their lives. That's all I got to say today. Preach it. I'm done. I feel like I taught and maybe didn't challenge as much today. It's hard to challenge you with this message, but I want you to keep it in perspective and understand the perspective as you understand this gift and, and look around and see if it does exist today um, from your perspective. I'm going to have, uh, I didn't tell him this, I'm going to have Jeff come back with the group, and I'm going to let us close today. Did they leave on me? Better not find out you guys are leaving, I'm going to take names. Would you come back and, and do that, that song prayer for us again? What a great way to close our service, just with, with a, an expression of prayer together as we sing it to the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand. Um,
I don't know how God may be working in your life, but it may be that today you need to pray with somebody. If you do, you can come forward and do that. Uh, There may be people that want to join this morning. If you want to join, you come forward as well. Just make this a moment when you spend some time with the Lord and really express to Him who He is in your life and how you want to see Him work that miracle in you and how you want to glorify Him today. Thank you.